Hey guys, I just checked out your Instagram and let me say you rebels and runaways are beautiful. It's so good to be here and to be with you. Let's start with prayer. God, we thank you for this time together. And I just really pray for myself. I know it sounds kind of selfish maybe to start off with me, but I pray for myself that I'll remember everything I need to say. And I remember, I, excuse me, I pray that the hearers will remember what they need to hear. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's me and my kitty. Can you see my kitty over there? She might cause some trouble, but um, we'll just try and proceed as normal, okay? Um, I can tell you all kinds of things about myself that... Um, some people might want to know, you know, like education and accomplishments and things like that. But what I really want you to know about me is that I desperately want everybody to have a voice, both uh, metaphorically and literally. Metaphorically, voice is like career and uh, what you choose to do with your time in this world, how you, uh, how you make your money and how you find meaning in your life. And literally it's, can you speak out and you tell your story, what, what lies inside of you that the world needs to hear about. So um, that's kind of where we're gonna go. The question for me always is, um, and, and I, I do a lot of career, coaching and vocational coaching. But the question is always, how do we want to show up in this world? How do we, um, as Christians, want to be at this time in history? We are living in the weirdest time in history that I can imagine. I've been around for a long time, never lived through anything like this. It feels like the apocalypse to me. And yet we have such a strong sense of calling in this time from God, if we dare to be ourselves. And uh, as author Robert Quinn would say, walking naked into the land of the unknown. And I'm hoping since I said naked, you're paying attention. Anyway, we need to see what the world asks of us. And if so, what is our true self? These are existential questions that, um, that trouble all of us until we find some sort of answer. Our world is changing at a rapid race and we don't know where it's going to end. Um, interesting point. I heard this last week that the C-suite, CEO, CMO, CFO, now has a new member, the CPO, the, the uh, Chief Officer of Purpose. Isn't that interesting? So the CPO occupies the C-suite with the others, and they help people in their organization move laterally to find positions that are more suited to a person's uh, desires and calling. The CPO also helps the organization discover uh, excuse me for a moment, discover what, um, what the organization wants to do with its money and its volunteer time and, and all that sort of thing. So we've got a new, we've got a new C-suite member. Uh, 
the evening news last night talked about something called the Great Resignation. We're in a period in uh, employment history called the Great Resignation. 30%, 38% of all adult Americans are looking for another job. Is that you? Might be you. There are 10.1 million jobs out there waiting to be filled. And for the first time in our lifetimes, we're seeing a labor market. That is, employers are no longer in control. They're having to offer more and more money to get people to come and do the jobs. Axios News on my, on my cell phone tells me that 46% of all people will come back to a different job intentionally. If, if they can't get a different employment opportunity, they will change their job. And as much as 60% wish that they had never had to come back to their job. So there's 60% of people out there who are absolutely done. They're done because it, the work that they're doing isn't, isn't on spot for them. It isn't hitting uh, what, what they need to experience. And as a vocational coach, I affirm this. I hear this over and over and over again. Um, there are help wanted signs all over the place here in Portland, and I'm sure there are down there too. And I found out last night on the TV that I could become a semi-truck driver and get a $3,000 bonus plus $25 to $35 an hour. And so could you. Is that not exciting news? This is an existential crisis, though, because who wants to be a truck driver? Even though it does pay a lot of money, I think what the, the data shows is that it doesn't matter how much money is offered. People are so looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. Uh, but how to find that? There's a lot of controversy over that. Well, what if I told you that your deepest pain could be a significant and powerful force for good in your life and in the lives of others. Purpose. Finding that elusive purpose is possible. And that purpose is powerful enough to bring sanity into a crazed and self-destructive world. People are frightened. They're frightened. You can see it on their faces. Go out, take a walk. People are confused. You can see it on their faces. The Imago Dei in us can address that sanity and that fear uh, and can bring shalom, God's peace, into their lives. The world needs people who know what they're all about and what they're meant to do and who are willing to step for forward and do it. People of purpose are powerful people. And they change the world. And you know what? Uh, people have pur purpose and never lack for followers ever. Isn't that incredible? If you want, if you want to lead something, if you want to go somewhere, follow your heart, and people will follow you. Think about uh, Joseph in the Bible. He started out with big dreams for himself, and he ended up working uh, in dreams of others. Uh, he uh, was at a specific point in his life when uh, he was in control of the, of the uh, uh, grain stores in, in Egypt. And he was second only in power to, to Pharaoh, which uh, Egypt was one of the great uh, 
hours of its day. So he was a very, very powerful man. He comes face to face with these brothers and they figure out who he is and they figure out this is the kid that they put down the well and sold to the um, slave traders and, and they're horrified. And what does Joseph say? Joseph says, look, you guys, what you meant me for evil, for my destruction, God meant me for good to the saving of many lives. Joseph understood the power of purpose. He understood the power of purpose in God's, uh, in God's timing, in God's end game for him. Then we have little Miss Esther, who had so many strikes against her and who literally took part in a sex contest to see who got to marry the king, right? Have you ever heard it said that way before? Again, I hope that grabs your attention. Anyway, Miss Esther is in a, a, a scary situation where her people are going to be destroyed and her cousin comes to her, Mordecai, and he says, Esther, you got to speak up. you got to do what God put you here to do. Who knows but that you were born into the kingdom for such a time as this. Purpose. And Esther, Esther stepped into that purpose and saved her entire nation. So there are uh, biblical examples. And the Bible actually is full of ordinary people who did extraordinary things because they were willing to trust God and do the thing that was uh, in their soul to do. And then in a more modern day, we have Gandhi, who was basically responsible for the liberation of India from the English. Uh, and we have Mother Teresa, who is uh, um, called by God to the streets of India to help people die, not to live or recover, but to die. And more recently, we have Malala, we have Greta Thunberg, we have Amanda Gorman. These are young people, young, young women who have such a strong call on their lives to speak forward and, and do that thing that they felt called to do. There's a guy, or there was a guy named Viktor Frankl. He wrote um, Man's Search for Meaning, one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, he was a psychologist and a neurologist, and he ended up in uh, Nazi concentration camps. And he was there for somewhere between two and four years, and he went to four different camps. And he decided that he was going to um, make use of his experience, not just sit there and suffer, but he was going to make use of his experience in the concentration camps. And he began to notice uh, who survived and who didn't. And there were um, able-bodied, strong men who uh, should have survived, but didn't. And then there were scrawny little skinny guys all covered in lice that hardly got any food at all, who were just full of spit and vinegar, as my dad would say. And they survived. And um, Frankel noticed that the difference between who survived and who did not had nothing to do with physical prowess. It had to do with um, what kind of purpose a person had in their life. And if they had a vision or a view outside of the prison experience, if they, they had the vision of being able to reunite with their loved ones and take care of them, or they had a vision of work that they had to do beyond the concentration camp. These were the people that survived, the ones that had a sense of purpose. 
the ones that didn't survive were the ones who had no hope and no purpose and, and no drive. So um, even medicine today tells us uh, that people with purpose are healthier, they sleep better at night, they live longer, they tend to eat better uh, food. Um, so this purpose is so interesting. Victor, Victor Frankl said, one should not search for an abstract meaning in life. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. He's like not letting us off the hook on these ethereal things at all, by the way. Anyway, to continue therein, he cannot be replaced, nor uh, can his life be repeated. Thus, everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. So he's calling on us to recognize that we are so unique, uniquely made, and that's based in our story, who we are. He goes on to say, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather recognize that it is he who is being asked, uh, being asked in a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering to his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. Isn't that interesting? What he's saying is, what is life asking of me? That is the question I have to ask. And you have to ask, what is life asking of you? We live in a chaotic world. I, don't, I really don't have to recount these things, but we have racial divide, injustice, violence towards people of color, pandemic uh, issues. Do we mask? Do we not mask? Do we vax? Do we not vax? We have global warming. Uh, icebergs are falling off into the sea and, and changing water levels. We have this political divide and we're all trying to survive from the last, I don't know, four years of... Uh, number 45. Uh, and then we have the economy. The economy is in some areas just booming and doing fantastic. And in other areas, it's absolutely bankrupt. And we're all left at, uh, at, at in a quandary. What do we do? So if, if what Frankel says is true, and we have to go back inside of our, ourselves to find that meaning that we express out into the world, then our most important questions uh, become these. Who am I and how do I fit in this world? And we ask these questions through the lens of family, through the lens of culture, through the lens of race and ethnicity and class. And we must ask them through the lens of vocation because our time and our story is what God gives us. And that is what we have to be responsible to. Um, I was born into a family of 10 kids, and if you guessed Catholic, give me a thumbs up. Catholic, woo! I have six brothers and three sisters. And um, I always wondered what I wanted to be as a kid, I always thought about it. I thought about what was important for me because I was always trying to find a way to distinguish myself 
in, in a group of 10? How do, how do I make myself uh, outstanding in a group of 10? So I got really good grades and I, I was totally codependent on my parents and second borns. So I helped them raise my younger brothers and sisters. And uh, in fact, a number of my younger brothers and sisters call me mom to this day. Um, and so I, I, I figured out early, I went to Catholic school and I figured out early that I wanted to become a BVM. Um, I had these brothers and, um, they were incredible. They had so much energy. They were amazing, but they had what I call the locust spirit. And that is that they would seek and devour everything, like all the food. They'd eat all the food. They'd break everything in the house. And I literally grew up hearing, this is why we can't have nice things. It's not a joke for me. It was real. So I had this this, uh, desire to become a BVM. And in case you're wondering what a BVM is, it is a sister of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a nun with the big black thing and the, the long black dress. They wore black dresses every day. I think maybe they were the first punk rockers. I don't know. But um, they wore the same dress every day, black. And I figured out that their house was quiet. Mine wasn't. <laughs> they had a vow of silence in their house. You could go into the little waiting room where you met with a, uh, your appointment if you were there to see a nun. And, um, uh, and they could talk in that room, but once you left that room, you had to be silent. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to move in there. Because remember, um, well, I didn't tell you this. Um, I had five brothers before any sisters came along. So most of my life was, was living with boys. And this locust spirit that was rampant in my house. So um, I just wanted to be with the nuns. That's all I wanted. That was until I realized uh, that there's this thing called romance and boys. When I was about seventh grade, that blew that whole thing to head. So so then I had to to begin to um, think differently about what I was going to do. And even though I was young, I was thinking about these things. And I, I wondered about all kinds of things and I prayed and prayed and I couldn't figure out why wasn't God answering me. I wanted a letter in the mail. I wanted it written in the sky, in the clouds, Deborah, you shall be this. Didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. And then eventually I, I, I discovered this thing called a uh, story, your story. And I, uh, had trouble with my voice my whole life. You might be able to tell I have issues now. It's pretty good today. Some days it's not very good. But um, I uh, eventually lost my voice completely. I didn't have a voice for eight years. And during that time, I um, I had this feeling that God was telling me something, that God was showing me something, but I didn't know what it was. And my world got very small. I'm extremely extroverted. I like to laugh, I like to go to parties. People give me lots of energy, but nobody could hear me talk. They couldn't, you know how you hang around after church and you chat and you have a good time. 
well, that went away from me because nobody could hear me. Um, you know how when you go in a restaurant, you have that background din of other people talking and dishes clanking. Couldn't talk there either. It was too loud. Uh, inside the car going places, my husband was worked in the steel shop. And so he's hard of hearing and I was hard of speaking. And so we didn't have any conversation in the car. And this whole situation was really breaking my heart. And um, after uh, about eight years, I found a voice doctor who got me here. But I, my heart had already been um, stirred towards people who didn't have a voice, who didn't have a literal voice or a metaphoric voice. I began to notice. And I, I started investigating this idea of story and the thread in your story. And we all have a story behind us. As Christians, we tend to lunge forward a lot because we, we have faith and we believe the future is going to be good and, and we want to be a part of it. And it's all about growth and it's all about stretching and it's all about um, losing ourselves in in uh, our spirituality and just moving forward. But we have this whole wealth of energy and experiences behind us that's absolutely unique to each one of us. No two people are the same or even close to the same. We don't look at it very often. In fact, we try not to because usually there's a lot of pain back there. But what if I could tell you that your deepest pain, your deepest pain was your strongest um, indicator of what your vocation is. What if I told you that? Now, vocation doesn't mean a job, doesn't mean a career. It, it doesn't mean um, any of those things. What it, what it is, is the vocation is that reason why you were created. It's the, um, it's the thing that that God has for you to express into the world. My vocation is I, that I believe God has put me here on earth uh, to help other people, people who are voiceless, uh, find their voice and their future so that we can change the world in the best possible way as we move forward. So that's, that's my vocation. Now that vocation shows up in my teaching. I teach at, um, Portland Seminary. I used to teach at Warner University. I'm a life coach, vocation coach. Um, I've taught Bible study. I used to be a personal trainer. All, all that, all that fits under that vocational calling. So Victor Frankl says um, that we discover meaning in three ways, by doing a deed, by experiencing a value, and by suffering. By suffering and here's the deal is we call ourselves people of the resurrection right we're people of the resurrection but in order to resurrect something has to die and we forget about that something in us has to die if we if we are uh in christ jesus died something in jesus died before jesus died so in order to be people of the resurrection, we have to acknowledge that something's dead. We also call ourselves people of the redemption. In order to be redeemed, something has to have gone awfully wrong, right? Just terribly, tragically wrong. 
Um, so to, in order to live out redemption, we have to know what that is in our story. We have to go look. We have to go find it. And it's not easy. But let me tell you this. I'll show you this. If you have your Bible, look in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, look in 1 Corinthians 1. No, 2 Corinthians 1. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 1. And it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now, what word comes up more often than anything in that scripture. If you said comfort, give me a thumbs up. That word comfort. Now, if you're a student of the Bible at all, you know that emphasis uh, is done by repetition often. Matter of fact, that's the most common tool for emphasis in the Bible is repetition. So Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he's going truly, 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 look at this, look at this. I want you to see this. I'm saying this to you. Listen, uh, this word comfort shows up nine times. That is like comfort on steroids. That's repetition on steroids. And that's meant to tell us how important comfort is. Now, what does that comfort mean there? That word comfort is, uh, most of it is parakaleo, or some version of that. It's all some version of parakaleo. Para means alongside, and kaleo means called. And there's the, that word parakaleo or parakalesis is, is uh, in another place in our New Testament. And its reference is the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit. So we are called alongside of those who are suffering to comfort with the same comfort that we have received. There it is. That's vocation. Coming along somebody and comforting them in a way that we have been comforted. That's vocation. So if that's the idea, what Paul is saying is Christ comforts us, we suffer, we comfort you when you suffer, and when you suffer, you can reach into our comfort and take our comfort, which we take from Christ, and we can all be comforted together. We can all grow together. That's part of the Christian call to the world, is to be comforters. So in this time when when 
culture and life is so upside down on us, we can actually walk in that. Now, how do we do that? That's unique to each one of us. We have to, uh, we have to start learning how to lean into our own pain, even though that's hard. Like most of us don't like to go, yeah, that was really bad and kind of rethink through some of that stuff. Um, a lot of us don't really like to do that, especially if you're like me, a party person, and you just like to think about the fun. But it's so important. We miss so much if we don't. If we don't go back and capture that. We don't go get it and find out where it fits within us. Um, Margaret, Margaret Wheatley, I have some books here before I forget that, I'm, that I've used. I'll show you afterwards. Um, that I've used for the information that I have today besides my phone and my TV. <laughs> I don't want to come across as totally shallow. Well, I found it on the phone, you know. Uh, anyway, Margaret Wheatley, who is a historian and psychologist, says that we must face reality, claim leadership, and provide islands of sanity as human beings. This is an individual responsibility, not a corporate one. That means each one of us is responsible. We can't say, oh, the church needs to do that. We have to do it. Here's, here's a quote from her. Humans cannot live without meaning. The greater the uncertainty, the more our desperate grasp for a handhold uh, and a shred of meaning appears. It is our meaning found uh, is our meaning found in the realization that we are chosen ones mm -hmm. the re realization that everyone else is inferior mm -hmm. the hope that our former way of life will be restored yeah uh the promise that someone will end this sickening fear in our heads no i don't think so those are rhetorical questions of course then she goes on and says, when there is no shared reality, people are flailing for ground. Whoever declares a reality that promises to reduce fear becomes the leader. It is always this way, and it is where we are now. This is the reality that summons us to be warriors for the human spirit. And so my question is, do you dare step into a place in your heart in your soul, in your mind, where you dare to become a warrior for the human spirit. That's what where a vocational credo will take you. My vocational credo, again, is I um, believe that God has put me here to help others find their voice and their vocation so that together we can make the world a better place. Right into the middle of the fray, I go with that one. And um, I'm proud and happy to do so. So can you see how the world needs you at your best, your strongest, your most self-aware? The world needs the Jesus strength in you. The world needs the Jesus comfort in you. And here's the last thing that I want to sort of drop on you here is that meaning is not made. We don't decide we like something and then try and make meaning in it. Meaning is discovered which means that it is like the pearl of great price. You have to look for it. So if you don't do the work, you won't find it. Isn't that true of our entire Christian walk? So let's pray. And then I'll tell you about my books 
and we'll be done. Creator, we are looking for the Imago Dei image of God in ourselves and in others. We desire to be shalom facilitators and warriors for those who have no hope. So we ask now that you would give us eyes that can see in the dark. Thank you. Amen. Books used in this talk. Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl. I highly recommend it. Your Vocational Credo by yours truly, Deborah Lloyd. When we do the workshop, we'll use this book. Who Do We Choose to Be by Margaret Wheatley. Amazing book. Deep Change by Robert Quinn, Walking Naked into the Land of the Unknown. And last, but certainly not least, the Holy Bible. It's good talking with y'all. Can't wait to meet you face to face someday. God bless you. <laughs>